Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? My company, getfeatured.com, will get you featured on targeted shows, will design you a custom bio page, pitch you to the host, prepare you for the shows, and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.com to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 86 of Can I Pick Your Brain? My guest today built her house from scratch by watching YouTube video tutorials. Hope Brookins was 17 years old when her family had to leave their home due to a domestic violence situation. In nine months, her family built a 3,500-square-foot home and at the same time rebuilt something even more valuable, their family. After going from such a traumatic situation to feeling empowered, Hope went on a mission to help inspire others. Along her journey, she worked for former President of the United States, Bill Clinton, as well as 14 US congressmen and many local politicians. Without consciously realizing it, she was learning the greatest lessons of branding, which would later become her secret weapon. Her first branding client was her own family. She created a plan, and within just 48 hours, her family's story traveled around the world. In less than two weeks, their story was shared in over 1,000 news outlets in over 65 countries. Today, Hope is a powerful publicity strategist helping people go from obscurity to celebrity. Now, here's a little rap I put together for her. Through tough times and violent crimes, her family read between the lines. In a desperate situation, they were found. They rebuilt their home from the ground. She went from powerless to powerful, hopeless to hopeful, panic and fear losing everything dear, crying, drowning in desperation, but now she's become the inspiration. So if you want to demand attention, give yourself an extension. She's the master of brand, the grander of grand, and she lives in Twitter land. She's the one you go to when your image ain't dope and you really can't cope, so it's no surprise her name is Hope. Hope, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Hey, Daniel, I think I need to license that song from you so I can use it as a commercial. Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) That totally needs to be my standard YouTube video. Are you serious? Well, if you can make it go viral, that would be really cool. You know, it could. Things that are that crazy, that's that's exactly what goes viral. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have to say, like, you've got a crazy, crazy story. I mean, you, come on, like, you seriously built a house by watching YouTube videos? Like, I, yes. I, I have a swimming pool, and when I go on my uh, the YouTube video tutorials to kind of figure out how to clean the pool and do stuff, I can't freaking figure it out, and you bloody built a house? <laughs> You built a house. Like, what does yeah, that even now, mean? Yeah, now, we didn't say that it only took one tutorial. We certainly <laughs> combined a lot of tutorials, and we certainly had to take things out a lot of times before we did them the right way. That's really... Well, I, before we get to the YouTube videos and the building the house, which is insane, um, can you take us back to before, the days before you built the home from scratch? Like, what was it like growing up in, in, the, in that home? 
Yeah, yeah. So again, this was almost a decade ago now. So I was 17 years old. I'm 27 now. Mm-hmm. And it was such a hopeless situation. We were in a traumatic domestic violence situation uh, just against my mother, not against me and my siblings. And when you say domestic even, violence, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? Physical violence. Yeah, but from uh, from uh, from my ex stepfather to my mother. Oh goodness. Oh yeah. wow. Oh, so that's yeah. like completely. I thought I thought you were living in a rough neighborhood where there was, you know, a lot of violence, and so your whole family. Oh no. Oh my goodness. So no, you, we lived in a wow. great neighborhood. We lived in a, a nice house, but after that divorce, we were in a financial situation where we had to either all sleep in a really tiny house or apartment somewhere and share bedrooms or we had to do something really big and build our own house because the only way we could afford one was if we were the free labor the construction crew oh my so how yeah, many of you how many of you were there times. there were i had three younger siblings so i was the oldest i was 17 i had a 16 year old brother an 11 year old sister and a 2 year old brother Wow. And so you all, I mean, whose idea was this? (laughs) It was my mom's. And Mm -hmm. when you're 17 years old and your mom suggests you do something, well, you roll your eyes at everything at 17. (laughs) You still genuinely believe that your mom knows what she's talking about Mm -hmm. and that she's not going to do anything crazy or that could put you in any sort of danger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. So we trusted her and we had always been a DIY family. But when I say DIY, I mean, maybe before we built the house, we would watch YouTube videos and learn how to decorate a cake or well, okay. make jewelry, not, <laughs> <laughs> not construction even. So it was quite the leap. So this is really fun. So you, so you bought a piece of land, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you just started building from scratch. I mean, people in the neighborhood must have been looking at you like Noah building an ark. Like, hey, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. And there weren't, we were almost, the land was almost at the an entrance of a neighborhood and there were no other houses around back then except for the next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. And he is, his family is actually who we bought the land from. So I think they knew the plan from the beginning, but maybe they didn't really believe us when they said we were going to build it ourselves. Wow. How because much most people, you... when they use that <laughs> phrase, yeah, exactly. they mean they're going to pick out the wallpaper. Right. How much, do you remember how much it cost to actually build the house? Yeah, ish. Now ish. I know there are tons of articles out there where my mom definitely uses the right numbers. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I've overheard her giving interviews, that she uses the number that the bank loan was probably about a hundred fifty thousand dollars. Even that's U.S. Mm-hmm. dollars. Yeah. And then I, I think that's the number. So, so hundred fifty thousand dollars went into basically the materials. Materials to, and the land was not included in that figure. That was purchased separately. You have to own the land before you uh-huh. can get a construction loan. So I think that was twenty or thirty thousand dollars. So basically, it was under two hundred thousand dollars to build to yes. build the house. And how much would it would that house be worth today? Again, I'm semi making up this number and trying to think of what my mother has said in other interviews, but I believe it's in the four fifty to half a million dollar range. Nice. 
Wow. In terms of a pra- in terms of what she has to pay taxes on it <laughs> for. <laughs> right. That's really cool. So yeah. So you built this house. I mean, can, can you like talk us through um, what were you going th- through on a personal level coming out of uh, the situation that you had with your your father? Your, mm-hmm. You call him your yeah, ex stepfather. I, I probably can't repeat those names that I call him. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I do I call that. him my ex-stepfather, yes. Ex. Right. Uh, so I felt at 17 years old, seeing my mother go through this situation and not being able to do anything or protect her, I felt so helpless. So mm-hmm. when we were finally able to start building the house, it was finally an action that I and my siblings could take to actually take control and do something about the situation. It's not Mm -hmm. like we didn't know what was going on. My youngest two siblings at 11 and two, I don't know really how much they knew about what was going on. Mm -hmm. But my brother and I at 17 and 16 definitely knew what was happening. And I think that building the house for us was a healing experience. Mm. And you know what's really interesting? I feel like a lot of people that I've had on the show who've become, you know, have literally built like multi multi million dollar empires um they came from a place of just really hopelessness and and growing up in a family i mean i had one um guest that literally had to go into dumpsters he was about eight years old and he had to climb into dumpsters and he would bring the food that he found in the dumpsters home and his mother would peel the layers off so they can eat they can eat it um Mm. and today he's he's built himself uh an eight figure um nine figure actually a nine figure business which is insane and i feel like it's it's all about really the the deep desire to like you said you felt powerless and there's a desire to be able to control our own destiny and that's pretty much what you what you're doing right you're helping people to get out there to share their story to share their message to leave a legacy really with the world um you started out in 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 the government space in the in the political in space and talk us through how did you get to work with bill clinton i mean that's that's impressive yeah well too again like i said i was in this situation where i felt so powerless and so out of control and wanted something that was hopeful, wanted something that was good and something that was bigger than me. And after, and I I think I started while we were building the house or maybe even before we started building the house, I was trying to seek out my future career. I was 17 years old, about to go off to college and then also just can do something bigger than me. And politics presented itself as a natural solution to me. I had a teacher who was a local state representative Mm -hmm. and I don't know the equivalent of that in the UK, but she was a local state representative and she started introducing me into politics. Ticks. And mm-hmm. two years later, I was interning at the Clinton Foundation with President Clinton, writing memos to the president. No so way. Actually, no, that amazing. was maybe a year later. I don't even think it was a full two years because I was 18 when I did that. Mm. So I was walking around on the advance team with a former president of the United States in between the Secret Service and no President way. Clinton. That's incredible. That's so cool. So you learned some of the, I guess, branding tactics that they use in government. What are some of those Mm -hmm. things that you learned while you were there? Yeah. So most of the time in my political experience, I worked on political campaigns. Yeah. And 
what people don't say about political campaigns is that they are basically one big branding strategy yeah. session. For sure. You know, politicians are looking at their constituents and seeing what kind of message should I give to this group of constituents in the same way that business owners or entrepreneurs are looking at their target audience and saying, how do I segment my message for this audience? Uh, it, just general messaging too and how they want to be seen and perceived and what they want to be known for. They're endless parallels to the extent where I actually do and am starting to do some branding work with politicians because mm. it is essentially the same thing. So when you were watching Hillary versus Trump, yeah, I don't want to get too mm -hmm. political because I, I just, yeah. <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you know Trump was going to win? Did you, did you have that? No. No, it no. was actually surprising to me. I think it was surprising to everybody, a lot of people. <laughs> but I think that there was impressive branding on both sides for sure. Mm. Uh, my general thing that I always say is it's hard to say who was better at branding because obviously President Trump is now referred to as President Trump, but yeah. he got less votes. So technically right. by about right. 3 million. So it's always hard to say <laughs> who did a better job at branding. It's more like who did a better job at strategy mm -hmm. in terms of the focus on electoral votes. But I think that the simplicity of Trump's messaging is something that everyone can learn from. Mm. The thing that I'm thinking, the difference between political branding and business branding is that in the world of politics, I feel like there's always this bashing the other the opponent right like putting them mm -hmm. into the ground like hillary should be in jail and all this stuff and trump right. is a trump is a rapist like you know whatever right so but you but in business that would not fly like if you know if i was on a, a call with a, a business uh, as a potential client and they told me yeah well this competitor is a schmuck and this <laughs> competitor like you know they that they do this wrong and that wrong i mm -hmm. would i would actually be very put off and and so i i never do that with my potential clients i never bash my competitors and in fact the opposite i would i will even praise my my competition sometimes and just say right. well look you know we're just different um do you know what i'm saying like it's it's I no think it's i very agree different. with that completely i think that people are equally turned off by bashing com competition both in politics and in business but i do see it happen in business too mm -hmm. i've been on a sales call with a company and i won't say which one i was trying to decide right. between two companies for a specific software and i was on sales calls with both of them and one of them, of course, they're both pointing out the differences, but one of them really, really bashed the other company. And it actually caused me to go with the competition because mm -hmm. if if their biggest thing to talk about is how bad the other person is, then mm. yeah. they obviously don't feel like their their software has many features to highlight that they can focus on. So I agree that it turns me off, but I think it's definitely a tactic that people try to employ, but it doesn't, it's not as successful in business as it is in politics, at least not with me. And it doesn't sound like with you either. Right. I don't think most people uh, like it. Why did you leave politics though? It sounds like you were like going for a really promising career. Um, why change, you know, why change the path? Yeah, no, I, I spent some time in DC and realized I really didn't like it. And around the same time for the first time in political history, the 
the political party power in Arkansas completely switched since the first time after the Civil War, which, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that's a long time, to the opposite political party. So there were less and less candidates to work for here in Arkansas that were my Mm. political party. And I did not like living in D.C., and I was kind of tired. I mean, of there's a lot of sexism in politics, unfortunately, and really? it's a lifestyle. It's it sounds you know silly to say, oh, well, I had to go to so many fancy fundraisers every night, <laughs> but it can be exhausting if you're trying to fit in three fundraisers in one night, and your focus <laughs> oh isn't having fun and sipping on cocktails. Your focus is on networking. Mm. So I've, I had just started to discover the online world. And I was fascinated with it and to discover that I could live in Arkansas and be with my family and work from home in my home state, mm-hmm. but work with people around the country and the world. And so that's and basically that's when you launched. Interested in. So that's when you mm-hmm. launched into into helping uh, businesses brand and you originally started with your with your mother to get her out there. Um, and. Here's the thing, and I, and I think this is what's coming up in my mind, um, and I think that a lot of my listeners will be thinking the same thing, and that mm-hmm. is that, you know, okay, of course your family got massive media exposure. I mean, for crying out loud, you built your house by watching YouTube video tutorials, right? <laughs> so it's not really that difficult to go viral when you've you've done something that, you know, crazy, right? But right. what if, like, you know, if you have a regular brand, like most of the people listening to this, they didn't build their house uh, on YouTube and they didn't, you know, they didn't, I don't know, jump out of an airplane and land on an elephant in Peru. Like they just, you know, we, they're just, <laughs> we're just normal people here, right? Um, so right. How, how do you, you know, how does it work for a regular brand? Right. And well, one of the things I say is it's not like we're the first family to ever build a house ourselves. We have received a surprising number of messages and photos from other people who have done similar things, similar mm-hmm. sized houses even. So it's not like our story is one in a million has never happened to anyone else before. A lot of our success had to do with the way that we positioned ourselves and the way that we we framed our story. I mean, the hook of with YouTube was really yeah. the key. You know what? You, to, that's so true. Mm-hmm. That is so true. And, because if you would have said that you just built your house and you didn't mention the YouTube tutorials, I think it would lose a lot of its right. impact. Right. It would be a feel-good story, but it wouldn't have that shock yeah. element to it. So there are six viral components Mm -hmm. that nearly every viral news article out there has. It invokes emotion. Mm -hmm. It's heartwarming. So usually it's invoking heartwarming emotion. Mm -hmm. It's shocking. Again, that's where the with YouTube part comes in. Mm -hmm. It leverages a trend. And for us, that was the the idea of this DIY thing, especially DIY using the internet that has Mm -hmm. been so popular and the timing. The timing is huge. For us, we, fortunately, the timing of my mom's book release was was around the time of the inauguration of President Trump and so many other things that were going on in the world that were just 
sad that were just that people wanted a break from. Mm. So there's a reason that our story was the top page of Yahoo News above things the week of uh, like literally above stories about President Trump the week of his inauguration Mm. and about the San Bernito. I'm I'm butchering that name. San Bernito (laughs) shooter. Um, There's a reason that our story was above those stories because it was happy. It was hopeful. And people want to read things that make them feel good and that give them hope and that also shock them just a little bit. Mm, I love it. So how would someone, let's say, take take one of our listeners who's who's got a regular mm-hmm. business and they came to you and they said, you know, Hope, how do I, how do I, you know, brand this business? How do I really get it to go viral? Like, what should they do? Because... Well, yeah. So it starts with their story. And again, mm-hmm. it's not that's what went viral about us. We didn't go viral. Our story went viral. So you have to craft a compelling story. And there's seven different types of stories. I always tell people to Google that. And looking and framing your story in that way so that it's easy to understand and then finding a bigger message that you want people to get out of your story, mm-hmm. that's how you start to create a viral campaign. So go that, back to then, the seven stories for a second. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I just don't want to lose you on that. You said yeah. that you get people to Google that. What do you mean by the seven types of stories? So there's seven types of stories. Now I said Google it because I might not be able to remember all seven off the uh, top okay, of my fine. head, but basically these they're different frameworks that are universal and 99% of stories mm-hmm. fit into one of these seven types of stories. So think of your rags to riches format. Right. Uh, The rebirth, the journey, the voyage and return, Mm. the overcoming the monster, Uh um, the comedy and the tragedy. So I did remember all seven. Look at that. You, if you can fit your story, which if it's a true story, you will be able to fit it into one of those types of of story frameworks and you want it to be specifically as a business owner whichever type of transformation or transformative journey that you want your customer to go on or that you want people who are following your movement to go on wow. no, so for my mom's story it really our story fits into the rebirth story of right. we had this rebirth with our family from doing this big thing started out with tragedy ended with this this incredible big thing afterwards and then this bigger message that we're trying to spread that you can do anything. So putting your story into that kind of framework so that it's super easy to understand so that if you accidentally leave a piece or an element out, it almost tells itself because with Mm. these types of models, there's so many things that are implied because we know what to expect from a rags to riches story. We know what to expect from a rebirth story. So there's so much power in doing that and in starting with uh, presenting your story in that way. So practically speaking, let's say they've now, they've come up with their story. And and of course, I'm I'm assuming that obviously that's what you help people do is you come up with a great Mm -hmm. story. You figure out a good way to to frame it, right? Like you said, uh, using all of the different triggers that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So now they've got their story, they've got that powerful story. What, how do they then get it to be shared on the media? Because, you know, so many people, they go out and they post something on Facebook or they post it on YouTube and they like, wait, anxiously, like, when are the likes going to come and when are the comments and the shares going to happen? And, you know, when, Mm -hmm. how, you know, how do you get them on 
the the big platforms like right. Forbes or like you know HuffPost or right. like TV you know how do you do that well there are a few more pieces that do come before you even get to the story okay. that are more basic groundwork in terms of developing a really strong online presence developing a really strong following so that you have that credibility Mm-hmm. Because the media is looking for credibility. They don't want to be sold a story that's not true. So there, there's all of those pieces that really even come beforehand that are, sound super foundational, but that are vital. And I won't even take on clients that haven't gone through that foundational building with me or someone else to to move forward with publicity. So once people have those foundational things in order, their story, when I start to pitch, I always say to start local, especially if you're looking for TV. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that people don't realize so often about viral news and viral media, and I honestly didn't understand the full extent of it until it happened, is that when a Facebook video or any sort or YouTube video starts to go viral, it usually isn't just because people are watching the video, the the media, the traditional media, plays a huge role mm-hmm. in bringing attention to those things. So that was something that we certainly noticed in our story is just it's not you aren't ever going to have a viral video on Facebook without also having the support of that same video being shared through traditional media. Mm-hmm. So again, that just goes back to the importance of starting with local press. And then slowly working your way up. And some of these bigger places you can pitch to. But my philosophy is that it's better to make them better and easier and a lot more inexpensive to have such a strong brand and such a strong story that they come to you. So building the brand, I guess that's like the foundation. First, you've got to have the following. You've got to build that brand online. And then Mm -hmm. you do local press. And then from there, you then get... Uh, you, you're much more likely to then get accepted in the big the big press, right? Right. So, and if you mm-hmm. have the foundation, you are able to go straight for the big press. Let's say things don't work out locally or it's not a good fit mm-hmm. or it's not great timing. You can still go for the big press if you have those foundational pieces in order, if your story is media ready. But so, oftentimes people need to start with local just to really iron things out. And mm-hmm. usually you don't go viral within, you know, two weeks and have thousands <laughs> of media For outlets sure. talking about you. So usually it gives you more time to iron things out than we had. So can you give us some practical uh, tips on how do you build that foundation, that, that, that branding online, the following? How do you do that? Well, the first thing you have to do is decide what you want to be known for. And okay. It's so hard because I think so many of us start really small. And I know that even when I started thinking about what I wanted to be known for, I started so small and thinking, oh, well, I'll be known for being an expert on Twitter or little bitty <laughs> things like that. Yeah. And then when I started to think, and what really changed it for me was this idea of thinking, okay, if I'm sitting on the on Oprah or the Today Show. Wow. What do I want to be talking about? And that's one of the first exercises that I work through with clients Mm -hmm. because it really forces them to think, is this little thing that I'm doing really big enough? 
Is it something that's going to interest me for my whole life? And starting your foundation with a really big strategic intent is with this idea that you're going to plan for something huge, something that you know you don't even have the resources to accomplish, but that you'll Mm -hmm. figure it out later. That's where I start with people on a brand because that's the only way to build a brand that has the potential of getting this level of media attention. Do you remember the day when you figured it out, when you realized what your massive message was that you really wanted to share? It was a slow process. And Mm -hmm. I think it was something that I went back on, back and forth on so many times and (laughs) that it was a, a slow realization and slow connections made of everything I've always helped any client with ever or had any job with ever is surrounded by the idea of visibility. And Mm. there wasn't, I think there was a specific day where I was probably crying in my mom's library asking her, uh, what should I focus on? You know, it was one of my (laughs) earlier, earlier days of having quit my, my nine to five with no real plan. Right. And one $300 a month retainer client who Mm -hmm. I I don't even know what I was thinking. (laughs) And I think that the, the phrase personal branding came up then and was a theme for two years, but it, it really needed to be combined with the publicity for me mm-hmm. So if to, it, it, to, to combine the idea of a press-worthy personal brand. And that's when I was really able to stand behind it and fall in love with it. Cool. Do you think that like TV and radio is, is still worth its weight right now? Like especially today's world where you've got YouTube and podcasts and online publications and i feel like tv and radio no who like who watches tv anymore like everyone's on netflix or youtube right millions of people (laughs) i hear that but i i don't know right really i is it still here's the thing though like i was saying earlier the one thing that people don't understand about going viral is let's say you're a youtuber and you have a video that's really popular Mm-hmm. You are only going to get millions and millions and millions of views overall, aside from like the PewDiePie's of the world. You're <laughs> only going to get millions and millions of videos if the media is also talking about it. So if you have one video that's going viral and yeah. you talk to five radio stations about it, and then those people who listen to those radio stations talk about it too, right? and then you're on the Today Show, it enhances the performance of your online content. I mean, you can imagine, again, I tried to prepare and have our websites ready for this type of campaign, but you can't even imagine how many times they crashed, even working closely with our website host. Because when you have traditional press coverage, a local radio show will lead to a radio show with a celebrity which will lead to the Today Show coming to film in your living room. When you get this level of press, it builds on each other. So a local radio show might not seem like a big deal, and neither may the five that come after it. Mm. But when you're then talking to Blaze Radio or Jenny McCarthy, it's a different on serious <laughs> right. XM radio. It's a different level. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I think yeah. it's all important. And I think that if you have a plan in mind for what you want to get from press, then it's all worth your time. How does it work ethically? Because somebody, you know, working for the New York Times or, you know, CNBC, Fox News, um, if they know that you, you know, as a 
brand strategist, as a publicist, that you're charging money to get your clients on their show or in their publication. Does it kind of, you know, is there kind of like an ethical issue there or do they feel almost like, you know, you're cheating the system in a way? No, I mean, it's an industry standard for a publicist to Mm -hmm. work to get their clients featured. And I think that most producers would agree that having publicists and having people who can help tell their clients how to accurately prepare saves everyone time. Yeah, I hear that. Because here's the thing. If a producer brings someone on who's not prepared, they could lose their job Mm. if it's on a big national TV show. And that's why you have to go through so many pre-interviews before you ever are on TV. So producers want to work with people who are ready and polished. And usually if people are investing in a publicist, they're Mm -hmm. more at that level where they've also invested in their own uh, presentation. Can people do it? Can they can they skip the publicist? Can like you know? Can somebody go and just directly pitch themselves to these publications or these TV shows uh, themselves? Absolutely. I mean, that's what my even though I, I call myself a publicity strategist, I mean, me and my family were dealing with the press ourselves, and mm. to understand what that looked like in a viral campaign, I had to quit and suspend all client work for three and a half months where I was basically answering emails that were coming in to myself, my mom, Facebook messages uh, for three and a half months straight from radio, TV, and from, I mean, this literally is like getting a Facebook message from Google saying, hey, we want to come to your house and film a a, a mini series, a mini documentary on your family with the film crew of 16 people from New York. Wow. Can we come and do that? We're talking. Wow. It's <laughs> crazy. Cool. We've, you know, 45, yeah. 50 different producers for reality oh shows, of seven to 10 for feature film. Um, it's a lot to handle when you get this level of publicity, and there's not necessarily any money that comes with this level of publicity. It is a big expense. And mm. that's something that I also think that people don't realize. And there, there's a lot of benefits to getting press more slowly than we do. <laughs> right. Because it doesn't have to take over your life. I want to talk to the, to the person listening to this that their dream is to be on in, in, featured in Forbes magazine. Let's just take mm-hmm. them as an example. What would you say are the steps they need to take to get there? And, and, and how long, what's right. the process and how long does it take? Well, so much of that depends on where they're starting out, Mm -hmm. where they are right now. So if their goal is to get featured there as instantly as possible. Well, let's take me as an example. Okay, let's take you. So what do you want to be known for? Uh, The power of authenticity. The importance of being authentic in a a very mm -hmm. noisy, fake world. So you've already got your message. You've already Mm -hmm. got your focus. You already have, again, you said this was episode 87 of your podcast. So you already have all of these pieces in place that are showing your credibility, that are showing your connections to other Mm -hmm. influencers. You already have a website and a social following and all of these foundational pieces that are so important. And I don't know if you have any other media badges because that always helps. And by media mm-hmm. badges, I just mean logos on your website saying as featured in, <laughs> right. even if it's a podcast, not entrepreneur or something. Yeah. So because of what you have in place, literally 
your first step is writing a strong pitch, which starts with stalking. (laughs) I use that word all the time, which starts with stalking a contributor or multiple contributors who are already writing about authenticity or subjects around that or something where you think your topic is applicable. So how do you find those uh, contributors? Mm -hmm. So you literally go to Forbes and in the Mm -hmm. search bar, search the word authentic, search the word authenticity. Mm. And I'm sure that you know so many other topics, even if you want to talk about being authentic as a brand, search for brand. And then you're literally just looking at staff writers, at contributors. It's always easier to be featured, um, get a feature by a contributor. and then you are literally just slowly starting a relationship with that person, whether you want to tweet them once or twice mm-hmm. before you email them your pitch. And then you're just going to email them. You're going to come up with a great headline. I like to use my headline as the subject line of my email because if someone is a contributor or a staff writer of any kind for a publication, yeah. they're thinking in headlines. And if they realize that someone is coming to them with an article that's already written, if you're doing the work for them, Mm -hmm. you're making it easy for them, they're so much more likely to feature you because why would they turn that away? You've already written their great headline in the the subject line of your email. And then if you're able to pitch a great story concept and you prove that, that this isn't going to be a difficult thing for them to do and that it's something that aligns with what they're already writing about, Mm -hmm. why would anyone turn you down? Of so course twi- they will. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but if you go in with that strategy, then you're much more likely to get placement. So Twitter is your that's your like your the platform that you use the most to, to basically pitch and, and build relationships with. But Twitter's dying, no? I mean it's I disagree. And oh, I boy. kind of for a while felt that same way. I did. And I honestly think that we can thank President Trump a little bit for its popularity. (laughs) But I also think, and I've also seen so many things lately, and this has given me so much hope about Twitter, Mm -hmm. where Generation Z, high schoolers right now, are using Twitter. Really? Yes. I thought they were all in Instagram and Snapchat and Musical.ly and that kind of thing. They are. But if you look at news articles that are combining or that are using things from social media mm-hmm. they're usually pulling quotes from twitter they're mm-hmm. rarely pulling quotes from facebook unless someone's emotional facebook post went viral <laughs> occasionally there are picture posts from instagram but it's solely focused on on the photos most news stories that are literally solely a news story surrounding social media mm-hmm. quote twitter Frequently. So I don't think Twitter is dying and I still think it's the best way to to connect with people instantly and connect with people and influencers who are huge or writers who are huge. So I'm a huge believer in it and my family uses it a lot together. Combined we have over half a million followers. Even wow. my little brother has about who's eleven now has about no. fifty thousand followers. What? So, your right. brother so is he, oh my goodness me that's he, crazy he just got some sort of fancy drawing pad that he wanted for for free from a company and he just emailed them and asked them and said i have this many twitter followers so we do some influencer wow, work too with that brilliant. family that yeah brilliant. so I, I don't think it's dead at all that's really cool and in terms of just like 
strategy on Twitter itself. Like I see a lot of people like going for the for the for the kill, like straight like straight away. Like, <laughs> will you marry me? You know, like it's like weird. People behave very weirdly on social. It's like you would never go up yeah. to somebody and straight straight up just like say, hey, buy this from. Like you know, whoa, well, calm and that's down. the same idea. That's why I say to use Twitter once or twice because at least you have the shot when you're trying to connect with the staff writer or contributor. Sending them one or two tweets is like flirting with someone in a bar before you ask for their number. And the mm -hmm. email is you asking them for their, their number. That's you giving them the pitch. So it's great if you flirt a few times and compliment them on one or two of their articles or features right. via Twitter before you go in for that kill of the pitch. It's not always necessary at all, but every little thing you do increases your likelihood of placement. That's really interesting. So basically, you go to Forbes or any of the publications mm -hmm. that you're interested, you then do a keyword search on there, you just basically con control F and you, or you look, click the search and you just type in your keyword that you're going to be writing about, right. you find the contributors, find them on Twitter, flirt with them a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and then and then ask for the the email and then you send them an email with the headline of the actual post that you're going to submit right. and now i don't usually you don't usually ask for their email you can usually find that pretty easily now i cheat i have a, a media database that Ooh. i pay for it's not affordable unless you are doing media full-time so that's not going to be an option for most people but usually there's a formula for email addresses at a publication so as soon as you figure out one person's email address yeah you usually it's like first initial last name sometimes yeah. somebody will mess it up and have the same name you'll have to throw in a middle initial but usually right. that's pretty figure outable and a lot of them have it directly on their writer profile there's an easy way to get in touch with them so that's it's not as big of a challenge as people think Cool. And so you've you've sent them the email with the headline and then in the body mm -hmm. of the email, what do you usually put? Do you actually put the article? Do you attach the article then and there? No, or? no, no? Okay. Not, never. So first, never. again, you compliment them because it's all about flirting with them a little bit before you go straight <laughs> in for the kill. So you refer mm -hmm. to a specific article or content that they've written mm -hmm. recently that somehow relates to what you're pitching them or that you just really liked and you make it clear that you've read it. And mm. then you move into your story and you tell them how featuring you will benefit them, whether it's the fact that you have a large social following that's going mm. to share that article and make sure it gets viewed or whether it's a fascinating story and it's in alignment with what they normally write about or would hmm. be helpful to their followers. You just let them know how your topic is going to help, or your topic or you is going to help them and their following. That's really, really cool. That's incredible. So I'm expecting so you, to see you in Forbes next week. I'm that's it, guys. <laughs> that's that's the challenge. You've set me a challenge. Now I've got to go in uh, and get in there. So I'm going to, my goal is to get into, into Forbes. So hope for, for well, those send me this, your headline and we'll review it. I should send you my we headline. We will make this happen. Yes, this is going to be a proof of concept. We'll do a little I, case study I here. Hope I've probably got one of the most catchy headlines that you've probably heard. <laughs> I'm, I'm not Are you gonna share it right now or is it gonna be a secret until it's yeah. featured? Oh. So my grandfather was shot and buried alive. Um and oh, he survived. Goodness. Yeah. 
that's my that's that's uh that's part of my story yeah and you've got the rapping thing i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that i can't do you know in an email do you know what i mean so um yeah but yeah so that that would that could be a killer headline right i mean yeah. unless you think it's not oh no it could it just we'll have to craft it so okay like i said we'll do a little case study here and see if we can get you into forbes so how long do you think it will take you to help me to get into forbes that's what a little challenge well, on this Here's the thing with contributors versus staff writers. Staff okay. writers usually have one day turnaround. Contributors who are who that's usually who you're getting placement with the first time around. Honestly, unless you have a story that's already viral or unless you're Damon John, usually staff <laughs> writers are not writing about you. So okay. I always tell everyone to start with contributors and then move up towards staff writers. Now, here's the thing. You can hear back from a staff writer in one day and they can write the story, but it usually takes about six weeks from the time they submit the story until it's published. At the minimum, you're usually looking at a two-week turnaround. So we can get placement and secure it, but it's usually a while before it actually is published because okay. they have to go through an editing process that staff writers don't. So what would you say would be the timeline for me to get into Forbes? So Let's I think say the longest. Two months would be a reasonable. You know, that would be a generous long Hey, hope. I've got a really I just had a really cool idea. Wow, <laughs> uh -huh. this is such a great idea. Why don't we document it? Like let's Okay, yeah. Let's like show the people like let's show our listeners the the actual uh, you know, the flow of exactly what totally. we do. What, I'll like share the email that we send and I'll, sh I'll share everything that we do, the whole process. Um, I'm just thinking of the best way to do that. Like where should they, where should we publish it and, and how should they follow it, follow the journey? I want to create like a, I want to really mm -hmm. document this and then show people how it's possible to do it. Okay, so if you want to follow me on my journey on how I get featured in Forbes, we'll show you the behind the scenes, step-by-step -step process and you can get that by going over to getfeatured.com forward slash Forbes. Again, that's www.getfeatured.com forward slash Forbes. Okay, great. That's so exciting. So it, it could be a blog post or something that's constantly updated and we'll just share yeah. it on social in the meantime. Yeah. Because I love this idea. This is going to be fun. Woohoo! I'm so excited. I'm jumping out of my seat right now. Okay, guys. So listen, <laughs> this is so much fun. So And we'll us. also have a link to your Forbes article there too. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> that is so cool. So basically, if you're listening to this in about three months time, so you'll see in the show notes a link to my Forbes article. Perfect. Woo, I'm so excited. <laughs> Hope, how do my uh, listeners follow you? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, they can just go to hopebrookens.com and mm -hmm. there are several ways to get in touch with me there and they can always come hang out with me on Twitter or Facebook. It's just at Hope Brookens on Twitter and at Hope Brookens Official on Facebook. Boom. Okay. Really, really cool. I'm so excited to get this going. Hope, thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.